I wasn't waiting anymore to feel accepted or to feel like I fit in. I was like, no, this is mine. I, I get to be a Syrian and I get to make it how I want. I get to be a Syrian how I want to be an Assyrian. And that was like a really empowering moment for me. Hey everyone, it's Sarah joining you from Chicago. Today you'll get to hear about the musical journey of Rachel Sarah Thomas. Rachel is a singer and songwriter and Chicago native who has uniquely adapted Assyrian songs to her own funky, soulful, sexy sound. I'm honestly so excited for you all to hear her short album, She Could, or Sugar Inglisi. Stay tuned at the end of this episode to hear a sample from the first single to drop, Shara, which will be released on May 19th. Today's episode is brought to you by all of us here at Assyrian Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media to keep up. And as always, check out the site for your Assyrian Podcast swag. Without further delay, here's Rachel Sarah Thomas. What is it that kind of drove you towards you know, singing and making music. Okay. Well, so you, um, when did, when did we meet? That's a good question. Church choir. Probably. Okay. So I started, I started singing before I can remember life. Legitimately. Yeah. Um, and I know this because my mom told me a story that she had signed me up for ballet when I was a little kid because I wanted all things arts Right. So, and I loved pink and you got to wear pink tutus and all that stuff. So she signed me up for ballet and apparently like right before the show started, I tugged on my ballet instructor, Miss Sandria's tutu and was like, Hey, I'm going to go sing for everyone now. (laughs) And she goes, she's like, Oh, okay. And so I, this little four-year-old Rachel just steps out onto the stage and starts singing her, like, Someday my prince will come. Because I was obsessed with Snow White and all things Disney. Um, and my mom told me, she was sitting in the audience, and she was just like, okay, my daughter's a singer. Because it wasn't prompted. Nobody asked me to do it. I just did it. And... I was like so confident because um, I was a really shy kid, but that I was like, nope, going out, I'm going to sing. And yeah, so before I can even remember, I was singing. That's really cool <laughs> that that's the way that you presented yourself to people. Like mm-hmm. that was the way that you felt comfortable presenting yourself to people because a lot of people are the opposite. It's like if, if someone asks them to sing in front of people, like I've been in that position mm-hmm. where it's like I get really nervous sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As an adult, I feel that way. Oh. And I think, or I, I should say have felt that way. And I think it's because of our egos. And I don't mean egos like 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 being arrogant. Just the vulnerability of being judged. When we're kids, we don't think about that. We're just like, I have this thing. I love it. It's joyful. I'm going to share it. Um, and then also, I realized as an adult, if whenever I want to hear people sing, it's because of the joy that I want to experience, right? It's never like, hey, I'm putting you on the spot and I'm going to judge your talent. It's I want, 
I want this room to be filled with happy, beautiful music because music makes life better. And you have a skill, you can provide that. And so I, I started kind of rethinking. Whenever my family asked me to sing, they're not putting me on the spot. It's like, hey, Rach, you know that thing you like to do? <laughs> we would love some of it right now. So, yeah, I had to rethink it because for, for a while it would it would stop me in my tracks and I'd be like, oh, no, you know, I'm about to be judged. But that's just getting older. And this whole, ba- or at least I used to, I would go through this whole battle in my head of like, what song am I going to sing? And what does it say about me, what I choose? And am I good enough? Am I going to be able to do this? But again, all none of that has to do with the music. That just has to do with me personally growing and learning that those thoughts are really uh, ancillary. They're, they're, not, they're not part of who I am. They've, they've come in and I had made space for them and they lived there a little bit. And now when those come up, I'm like, wait, let me put you to the side. But you just got to think about you know, that, like that moment when I was a kid and I didn't even think about it. It was just like, I have this thing. I can share it. Yeah. That's so, it. so yeah. like, basically, if you're going out on stage, just be like a child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of us should regress into that childhood confidence. hundred <laughs> percent. Because there's I'm no... so down. Yeah. It's actually, that's actually how I've been practicing lately um, is with it's it's like complete openness and full permission to to play and experiment and make mistakes really like I even say it out loud to myself I'm like okay this take through the song um, if if you sing a note that is quote unquote bad or doesn't match with the chords that you're playing who cares you're not going to try and correct it and make it fit just keep going and so like if you give yourself permission to to do something that potentially is ugly or potentially could be bad you actually open up you open up like a flow state it's yeah i listen to a lot of this uh this program called effortless mastery effortless mastery Mastery, yeah and they i I need to find the dude's name but he talks about that a lot just the flow state of singing i feel like that's big with any like vocal instructor that you come across Mm. like they're just like just let it out Mm. like even if you're scared of it even if you're you know in your head you're thinking like oh that's gonna sound bad or it's gonna sound pitchy right like it doesn't matter you just get it out and then you can tackle whatever is making it pitchy or whatever right. through that. Oh, you can't you can't fix a problem you're not willing to have yeah. with one thing with voice. But I also don't like that what I just I mean like that fix a problem. Mm. Um but meaning yeah, just let yourself do it and then afterwards you can be like, "Okay, now I want to work on that." But first just you got to let yourself do it. So you watched a lot of Disney growing up like I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um Leyatan <laughs> Iman what did she say? But I know something starting right now. I wanted to translate that stuff into Assyrian so much. I do it all the time. My That's brother and so I do it cute. all the time. I love it. He's he's into it as well. Does he sing too? He sings too. He won't tell anybody, but he does. He's got a great voice. Yeah. For, okay, so for the people that don't know, because I know your family and now we're, like, heading into, like, so it's just you and your brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, and your brother sings, but, like, to himself, to or, like, himself. around you. Yeah, he yeah. sings a lot of Frank Sinatra. Did your mom it's sing great. at all, or your dad? Uh, both of them. Ah? Uh, yeah. My mom's got a beautiful voice. Um, she sings while she's cooking. My dad has, he's got a beautiful voice, and he used to sing uh, to get himself through college. Like, he would busk. 
Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he didn't speak Assyrian. My mom taught him Assyrian. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. Because your dad is from Flint. He came here, like, early on, right? He was born here. And and his, his dad was born here, too. So, so we're you guys like go way back. Way back, way back. Super American. Okay. But so he didn't speak Assyrian. Because um, his parents were of the, like, whole, you know, we got to assimilate yes. generation. Yeah. He didn't speak Assyrian, but, but he knew he was Assyrian. So he would sit there and, like, sing gibberish and tell people he was speaking Assyrian. <laughs> he would just be like, huh, 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 huh. And, and um, he had a dumbek, so he would play dumbek and sing gibberish. And people, that's, he got himself through through college <laughs> doing that. <laughs> yeah, he's a, I get a lot of my scrappiness from my dad. Scrappiness is a good quality to have. It is a good quality. Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, so how did your parents meet? Because... Uh, I love this story. Yeah, tell me. Okay. Um, John Nimrod um, set them up, allegedly. Uh, so my mom came to the country visiting her grandmother. Um, and it was... John Nimrod, was, was he with the Federation? He set them up because, so the AUA, I guess, was, it was either the AUA or the Federation was working with my dad, who was an immigration attorney, and he was helping people get their papers. And so um, John Nimrod told my mom, you know, just go talk to this guy. You don't have to get your papers done. She wasn't planning on staying. She lived in London. Um, Okay. So where was she born? She was born in Iraq, but then left to London when she was 17. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, and lived lived there, went to college there, um, and was planning on staying, and then came here to visit. He was like, "Just go, just go check it out." You know, John Nimmer was just go check it out, see maybe it's easy. He told her to arrive, like, an hour to two hours early because he assumed that she would be late to the meeting. Oh, how funny! Right, like a Syrian time. Yeah. Right. So, so he told her to arrive early. My dad shows up at, she's there at like 9 a.m. My dad shows up at 11 a.m. when, when he thought everybody else was going to be there. My mom was on time, surprise. And so she gets up and the first thing she does is like yells at him. It's like, how dare you keep us all waiting? You know, who do you think you are? There's all these people waiting for you. And if you hear, heard my dad tell it, he would be like, you know, I was just like, who's this lady yelling at me? But she looks... <laughs> She looks cute. She's cute. You know, he thought she was attractive. So he asked her out for coffee. Um, and they went out, and that, that's that. I love that. You know, and he wooed her with his crazy antics. He was he was a crazy guy. Really funny, really weird. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that your mom found her husband by yelling at him. Yeah. <laughs> it gives you hope. All the Assyrian ladies out there. Yeah, just just un- unleash your passions, yeah. and the right one will love it. Yeah, will love it anyway. Love yeah. That. How long has your dad's side been here? I'm third generation. Third generation. Yeah. Okay. So my dad was born here. Mm-hmm. His parents were born here. Wow. Their parents came over on a boat. Wow. Um, they were orphans in the genocide. From so, Iran. Um, from from Hakati. Oh, from Hakati. Yeah. So, yeah, so they were in the Armenian-Assyrian-Pontic-Greek genocide. Yeah. Um, from their, their family history is a little less clear to me, just because I feel like a lot got lost when people came here, but I know bits, you know. So I know that there was, um, there was an Assyrian soldier who helped 
rescue all of these orphans and get them jobs with, I, th- I think it was a French missionary, um, French missionaries that were there. And, but somehow they got jobs on a ship. And my, my great-grandmother, Essiette, was a, a cook. Uh, she worked as a cook on a ship. And according to when my grandma was still alive on my dad's side, she was telling me that, like, I think they, they went all the way, like, they went to India. And they, I mean, they traveled on that boat before they got to the U.S., um, yeah, and then she ended up working working as a cook um, in someone's house in Flint, Michigan. Because I, I think there was a lot of need because of the factories in Michigan and Chicago. A lot of stuff, a lot of that around the Great Lakes. There was a lot of factories around the Great Lakes. And people, yeah, people jobs. flocked here for jobs. Yeah. yeah. And okay. so, so they stayed and they built a little Assyrian community in Flint. They built the church, the first Assyrian church yeah, my in great, the United States. Yep, my great-grandfather. My, my dad was so proud of that. He would always tell me, like, your great-grandfather laid these bricks. You know? That's so, so cool. Yeah. Have you been to that church yeah. in Flint? Oh, yeah. 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 That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've, I mean, we still have family there. We visit a lot. What do you feel keeps you connected to your Assyrian heritage outside of clearly your parents who have made it, you know, yeah. part of your identity? Yeah. I mean, we all know that, like all of our parents, they tell us about Surayuta, Minsurutan. But what keeps me connected is my curiosity about it um, because it helps me understand myself and it helps me understand the context in which I grew up. I think curiosity and the the struggle with it, you know, because for a long time, I always felt like, well, humans are just going to become one big blob of humans. You know, why does it matter? I'm this culture, I'm this culture, I'm this culture. We're all just going to be one human culture, I think. But then you think about like, well, which parts win? You know, what, what, what values stick? And it's... It's usually, you know, majority rule, majority values, and the things that everybody say are important. And I want to make sure that we're not losing something special that the Assyrians have to offer. Because we have our own, we have our own values, we have our own systems, we have our own thoughts, we have like this super, super deep history. And for a long time, I struggled with it, right? But I also loved it. And I also saw this... Uh, uniqueness to it like I would go to other people's houses I'm like well you don't have you know 15 relatives visiting and I don't I don't have to kiss all of their cheeks and I don't get my cheeks pinched by your aunts <laughs> you know so this is a special thing just for me it's the smells and the colors and the voices the voices of people that talk and the stories they're all so unique to us and I just I really love them okay yeah. so the sayings one, too the yeah. sayings are super fun yeah yeah like one the struggle two the curiosity to know about it three the love it keeps me connected because it yeah it's really I think that's the main one yeah because <laughs> there's just so much good and there's so many cool things and there's so many special things and you're just like wow you know I think I was really unintentionally distant from my culture at some point because I I hadn't found my crew. I felt too American for most Assyrians. And I know now there's lots of Assyrians who feel that way. I don't feel Assyrian enough. 
Um, but but it, it's a weird struggle to be part of a culture but not feel like you fit in to that culture. But I, I did feel like an outsider in many ways. Um, and then and then I found others who felt like me in my 20s and kind of started connecting with them, um, a group of artists really. And then, and I think this is just part of growing, you claim something. You know, I was like, I, I, I wasn't waiting anymore to feel accepted or to feel like I fit in. I was like, no, this is mine. I, I get to be a Syrian and I get to make it how I want. I get to be a Syrian how I want to be an Assyrian. And that was like a really empowering moment for me. And, and that started happening. I don't, I don't think it was um, I don't think it was like a singular moment. I think it was a, it was a mist <laughs> that enveloped me over, over the years. Um, and it started like cuneiform graffiti was an example of that. And then I, I took, you know, th- this is a separate subject, but I took a step away from music and I started writing this book, which nobody knows about, but it's coming up quite soon. I started writing a book to kind of just explore that Assyrianness. What is my Assyrianness like? And now I'm doing it with music. I love that because it's very easy to get wrapped up again in that like judgment of like, who am I to like claim this? Like other people don't, th- other people would say that I'm not Assyrian enough. I think our identity is and is going to evolve who we are and what we are, what we represent, you know, but there are pillars. Like I think language is a huge pillar. Um, I'm really grateful for my mom who forced me to learn it. (laughs) I mean, really, like I didn't speak English until I was six. Eh, That's not true. Five. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Like, yeah, I could sing in it. I could sing in English. Um, Again, Disney. But like all the home movies for me, I, you know, little girl born in Chicago, but only only spoke Assyrian. And then once I got into elementary school, she she noticed me like losing it because I was only speaking English with my classmates. Um, and she started an Assyrian school like for for me and all my cousins. And we would go. Where was that? Mark Twain in Des Plaines. No way. Mark Twain Elementary. Yep. 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 Um, and we learned we learned Assyrian. I learned how to read it and write it. Um, all my scrapens lame. I'm, I'm intermediate. <laughs> I can use I can use some brushing up, but it, it laid a foundation for me. Like I think language language lets you into a culture because if you if you can understand how people are expressing themselves and like the ways that they choose to explain their situation and their lives, um, and understand the stories that they tell and communicate with your elders because a lot of them don't speak this language, they don't speak English. It's a huge in to the culture. I know so, that was a random tangent. No, no, it's okay. It kind of takes me into my question of, um, when did you start adding Assyrian into your musical repertoire? Because I know that you, so you used to be in a band called Kesara, mm-hmm. which I, I loved. Thank you. And, and then you started getting into Assyrian music. Yeah. How did that, Happen. Let me take you on this journey. Take me on the journey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was all it was all dis- like all about discovery. I started an opera in college and was like, I don't want to sing Western European music. Like, I don't want to do this. That's not who I am. So let me find who I am. So I I I joined a psychedelic rock band. I was in a hip hop group. I was in an electro pop group. 
I sang backup for a bunch of people. Like I did, I sang house music. Like I just tried a bunch of things. I was all like post-college was just let's experiment with music slash identity. And then I finally realized that I wanted to create a space for myself because in every space I was, I was just a part of that space and I was like fitting myself into that space. Okay, I can use my voice to add to your, to your soul track, or I can use my voice to add to your house track, but this isn't me. Mm. So I was like, what do I have? And I had a dumbek. Um, my dad had one at home. So when I first started Kesara, I made all my beats on the dumbek. No way. Yeah, all my beats on the dumbek. I actually went to, there's a guy named Michael Zirang. Um, who's a percussionist who lives in Chicago? I went. I took a lesson with him. You know, just just to just to, I I like learning. I really like learning. So even though I had you know I have a musical ear and I kind of figured out there's the doom and then the tech right. Mm. You can figure that out. But I really name. wanted a lesson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I took a lesson with him and I was like, all right, I think I got this. And I you know I was like, how do I how do I keep this going? Because I don't want to just play the dumbek and sing. I want to. I want to play. I can play keys too. So let me figure this out. So I, I did some research and I found um, a couple of different methods and found this loop station that looked really good because you could play it with your feet. Mm. You could you could trigger um, the recording with your foot while you were using your hands to play other instruments. And then once I discovered that, I was like, all right, this is. Mm-hmm let me build a tapestry here. And I called myself Kesara because I wanted it, you know, whatever will be, will be. Kesera, sera. I had been looking for something for so long and I was like, I'm gonna create something. I'm gonna stop looking, I'm just gonna create. And whatever this becomes, I'm gonna let it become. And so that name was me giving myself permission to become whatever it was and to do whatever I wanted <laughs> and to grow and to accept and to pivot and just, you know, kind of flow. So was Kesara just you? Kesara was just me. Oh my gosh, this whole time I thought... It was a band. No, yeah. I played everything. Um, That's amazing. I would I would write, I, I had a Wurlitzer. I just, there's a video where I say, I'm doing what I can with what I have and I hope you enjoy it. And that was kind of my ethos. Like... Um, when I first started, it was a dumbbag. I didn't even have a snare drum. I used a pie pan. I put coins in it, and I would just like, right? That was one of my first shows I ever played. I made my snare with coins in a pie pan, and it was a ridiculous disaster <laughs> because quarters would fly everywhere. It was so stupid. And so eventually, I upgraded to this shitty little um, Yamaha. My mom got me. I, she's, she's like, Rachel, you're a musician. Anything that's remotely associated with music, I will buy for you from anywhere. So, like, a picture frame with a music note on it now belongs to me. Or, like, a Yamaha. She's a sweetheart. Oh, my God. So thoughtful. She got me this Yamaha keyboard from a thrift store. And I'm like, cool. Let's see what I can do with this now. So, I would create, um, like, a layer with the dumbbek and then supplement it with these, like, you know, like, really, really shitty... Yamaha keyboard sounds like an old like an old Yamaha you would get for a kid like not a nice one right I like those um we had one of those yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so that that was that was kind of phase two and then phase three I bought um I bought another pedal and I was able to like really enhance the sounds and then ended up buying like this um 
this sampler, like this drum machine, um, and creating my own beats. Yeah, it was really, really fun. So I'm create my own beats, run my Wurlitzer through a pedal to make it a bass. So yeah, I would like play my Dumbek, create another beat on top of it, play a bass line, play my chord progression, layer my vocals. And that was, that was the process live and in the studio. It was super fun. So you're mostly self-taught in music. Uh, At least ish. when it comes to instruments, right? Mm. So no, I took... I took piano lessons when I was a kid. Um, I was a terrible student in as, in as much, here's, here's how, here's how. I loved it, but I hated practicing. I loved to sing. I practiced singing all the time, all the time. You couldn't shut me up. And I, I still have very vivid memories, like core memories of me with my voice teacher and her teaching me how to breathe and her teaching me, you know, tongue placement, how to relax my jaw, like those will stay with me forever. In that, I was a phenomenal student. Other instruments though, I wanted to play the drums and the trumpet. And I unfortunately met a, uh, we'll call him an adversary. Mm-hmm. And I lost that fight that time. And that's okay. Because now I am an advocate for young girls in music schools everywhere. But I walked into a music school and was like, I wanna play drums and trumpet. And this dude goes, no, that's not for girls. You should play piano. So he got me into piano and I hated it. Right. But whatever. Now I have this skill. I can play. I can play piano. So thank you, adversary, for for the skill anyway (laughs) that you gave me. You know, I ended up picking up drums on my own anyway. So ha. Nice. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's it's hard. It seems like you it's use hard. your entire body, like, and it's hard, but it's really fun. You can you can create beats without a drum kit. You don't need a drum kit. I mean, like, look at Timbaland. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He uses a baby cry. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. That, that. Aaliyah song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. And that's yeah, exactly. just yeah, it's iconic. Yeah. But so in in that stuff, and production, yeah, self-taught. But I feel like all the, the the foundations of yeah for singing no I had I had foundational stuff music or or an instrument I think in studying piano and studying composers like Mozart and Clementi and Bach you learn that language you learn like okay so here's my phrase okay here then I'm gonna have a variation on this and this is you know there's a there's a polyrhythm here between both hands and I. You absorb that no matter what, you know, no matter what you're studying. But you don't need a formal education in that. Like, I feel like I feel like kids growing up in church learn the same thing because you learn and study with the the adults creating the music that's important to your life. So I feel like, yeah, you still learn. It's all about that practice, though, like putting in time and like putting the effort in. Effort and play. You, yeah. you have to play. The only way I learned how to do any of that stuff with Kesara was okay so you mentioned time yes yes and you mentioned effort yes yeah (laughs) and then the play like legit i did i did um i studied my my pedals for probably three entire weeks straight like would wake up at 6 a.m i never felt so motivated in my life (laughs) like would wake up at 6 a.m and study that shit because you want to know it's yeah it's so exciting that's the thing with with music like you have to find that thing that really really excites you and people get discouraged like if they find an instrument and you don't really practice 
and you, then you force yourself and it becomes a thing, maybe that instrument's not for you. You know, find something else. Because you, the, the desire to create is the important part. Who gives a shit what instrument you create on? It's the desire, you know, and you can create with with that box and make music with it. You really can, you know, anything, anything. The, the other stuff like learning and studying that precision, that's for a specific type of performance. But if, if the desire is just creation, it's, you can do it. I know we mentioned Timbaland mm-hmm. for like a second. Who are mm-hmm. some musicians or artists that you looked up to growing up? Mm. I will start with uh, Linda George and Juliana Gendo, mm-hmm. just because of their voices. Um, Linda George, how? <laughs> I hear her riffs in her... Oh my gosh. The, the quarter tone? Just anything that... Like, <laughs> Every, yeah. like, like Mariah Icon. Carey doesn't have nope. anything on Linda George. I'm sorry, Mariah. I love you, Mariah. <laughs> but you don't have it. Like, oh my God. Her voice. I can't even. Like, her, her voice is just incredible. And then Juliana Gendo as well. Like, the power and the fun and the sass in her voice. Um, I remember being a kid and hearing them and being like, dang. And actually, I told Juliana this when I met her recently. I went up to her when I was younger and I was like, how do you do that thing <clears throat> with your voice? Because I didn't know. She does like, like that kind of. It's like the throwing of the the voice, like almost like a. It's your larynx, it's like going up and down. Yeah. And I didn't, because that's not an American thing. No, no. And mm-hmm. I remember when I would do that in like school, mm-hmm. they'd be like, you're not, like, don't do you're that. You're not singing right. You're not singing right. Yeah, no. Yeah. And then I think I lost it. I don't know. Maybe if I try hard enough, I'll get it back. No, you don't even. Okay, so this is what I asked her. I was like, how do you do that? She was like, you just do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I really wanted a lesson from her. She's like, you just do it. And then I went home and I was like, uh, okay, okay, I can just do it. I just did it. Yeah. You just do it. Yeah, so thank you, Juliana, for that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Icon. So much. The two of them, honestly. So them two, and then on the, on the growing up end of the spectrum in this country, um, Quincy Jones slash Michael Jackson, the production in the, the Thriller record, I think influenced me big time. And same with... Michael Jackson's album Bad, I think that was like more like that new Jack Swing sound that influenced me a lot. And a lot of it is loop based, funny enough. Like they would they would create these like small you know, I mean even the, the bass line in thriller, boom 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 boom. It happens the entire song. Yeah. It does not change. And so it, it's just it lays this foundation and then and then there's an ocean of noise above it. And so like that was really influential for me. Bone Thugs, honestly, mm-hmm. I loved East East nineteen ninety nine, just like the the rhymes and the fluidity of their voices. Mariah Carey, yeah, uh, her her melodies and her harmonies and vocal production influenced the crap out of me. If you listen to a lot of the stuff that was recorded in the nineties, there's just like this very particular brightness to the vocal sound, and I've always preferred that. Um, in mixing and a lot of engineers try and put like a beef to my voice like like a heavy low end I'm like no 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 no, no. <laughs> we're going Mariah yeah. right I started getting like really getting into um, Green Day as well oh. and just like 
playful angstiness. Oh, and then uh, Joni Mitchell. She became a huge influence on me because she used the way that she used her voice and just like kind of let herself flow over her chord progressions and the way that she overcame certain limitations that she had. Like she was struck down with polio when she was a kid and like couldn't move her left the fingers of her left hand rapidly. So she just retuned her guitar in a special way so that when she played, she could use her fingers in a really, really simple, easy pattern, but play these luscious chords. And guitarists everywhere were like, how did you do that? You just do what you can with what you have. You know, so she influenced me in that and in her in her songwriting, like in her her descriptiveness and her um, her willingness to bear her emotions. I never knew that about Joni Mitchell. Yeah. That's amazing. That's kind of like how, you know, you've heard of Melody Gardot Mm -hmm. and how she, like, had that accident Mm -hmm. and then found out that she liked singing, basically, Mm -hmm. and, like, just does, like, um, you know, jazzy, like, Mm -hmm. low Mm -hmm. vibe. Your heart is as black as night. I love her voice. Love that song. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's amazing. So who are you listening to now, nowadays? (gasps) Okay. So I'm... One, I'm back to an old mainstay of mine, which is a band called Television. Um, they were early punk rockers in New York, but not not punk rock in the way that we think about it, like like thrash and heavy and angry. It's more, it's really melodic. It's angular. Yeah, you you just Tom Verlaine was the the lead singer and guitarist, and he recently died. You have to listen to their album Marquee Moon. There's this guitar riff that I'm obsessed with. Like amazing guitar riffs, um, beautiful lyrics, like just such fun lyrics. I fell right into the arms of Venus de Milo, like is, is a track two on their record. It's just so good. Highly recommended. Yeah, Marquee Moon by Television. I've just been listening to that on repeat. I just bought like a, a Rocktober clear vinyl edition of it, and it's just, mm. um, And then Kate Laban, uh, a friend of mine recommended her to me, and she is so weird, mm. and I love it. She's this Welsh artist and just sings these really enchanted kind of distant melodies. Like, I feel like she's like a, like a wizard, you know, like if a wizard made music, that's what it would, this is what it would sound like. Um, she's just really cool. Angel Olsen, I keep coming back to her because she just defines her own sound. Like nobody else sounds like her. Um, she sounds she sounds like a moment. Most of her stuff sounds like a moment in a valley in California and you've just learned that your lover betrayed you and stole all your money and then it's just like you know like like in a modern western or something like that like she's she's so cool how would you describe your music style because <laughs> i love i love these descriptions yeah. of these artists how would you describe yourself and your music style um okay so playful particular layered loopy um I like, like I was saying, like like that Quincy Jones, you know, you find this 
one really interesting melodic loop or a rhythmic loop that's really interesting. You lay that down as the foundation and then you play with it, you know, okay. So what happens if I fill this this empty space right here with a with a bloop? Ooh, that's cool. And then but the next time the loop happens, what happens if it's paired with a really luscious vocal harmony? I don't have synesthesia like a lot of artists do where they see music as color, but I like thinking of music as color. So anytime I create music, I'm really creating a painting um, in my head and I, I'm, I'm placing things intentionally to the left or to the right or above or below. They're dark or they're light. Um, I think of you know certain sounds as being red and certain sounds as being purple or blue. When Even when we mix, we mix our records like that. Like we'll, we'll create, um, you can actually like color coordinate all of like the vocal tracks. So for this record, all of my vocals were green. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So <laughs> I like it. It's nice for spring. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I don't know. I think I think my stuff is is lush. Um, yeah, lush, playful, particular, intense. So you worked with um, Juliana Jindu, you mentioned. Did you also work with Linda George? We mentioned her. I didn't work with her, no. and I, I didn't really work with Juliana. I brought Juliana in oh, to, hear, to, to hear the cover. Oh. I just wanted to be like, hey, listen, you inspired me. I made a cover of your song. First of all, do I have permission to put it out? And she was like, of course, honey. <laughs> and then <laughs> second, so she's amazing. And then second, I was like, I'd love you to hear it. Like, that would be such a special moment for me. So she brought her family, and they came and sat and listened to the song, and she's, like, singing along with it and doing her, like, Iowa, you know? <laughs> it's amazing. I love her it so much. It was an amazing moment. I can't do that with everyone. Like, I, I covered a Sargon Gabriel song, uh-huh. and he came to the studio when I recorded it. I did not have the foresight to film that moment. Silly of me. But he came to the studio when I recorded, mostly because I was so concerned about my pronunciation of the words. And I was like, bro, please, <laughs> please be here and, and just, like, help me. Make sure I'm saying this stuff right, because that song was a trip. Like, Which song did you cover of mm. Sargon's? Oh. Yeah, wait, so let's talk about those these songs. Okay. So yeah. what was the question that you asked question, me that got me here? I, I don't know even. We'll, we'll just move okay. on from okay, okay. it. So it's all good. So, but basically, I just wanted to know, like, who else were you working with on oh. uh, these covers? And oh. like, who else have you covered? All right, let me tell you about the songs, and yes. then I'll tell you who I was working tell with. Me, tell okay, me. so the songs are track one, Shara, mm-hmm. by uh, Narmela, written by Suren Alexander. Track two, by Sargon Gabriel written apparently this was like an old so Shara the words were are folkloric like they're old words written before anyone remembers no one knows who wrote them but the melody was written to these words or the words were made to fit to this melody that Suran Alexander wrote apparently an old folk song sung in this particular village and somebody was like, hey, Sargon, you should sing this song. So he did. But <laughs> there are words in that song that nobody knows the meaning of anymore. Literally. Nobody. I've asked, I've asked so many poets and they're like, those words were particular to the, that village and that tribe. And we don't know anymore what they mean. So I'm, I'm ascribing meaning to them on my own and kind of trying to figure it out. I've also, I asked uh, 
I asked like the the oldest old women I could find <laughs> what they meant, <laughs> what what they meant, and I got so many different uh, interpretations of these words. And so I'm yeah that that's been that's been a journey. But anyway, okay. So track two, Tura de Nare by Sarkon Gabriel. Track three, Berwer by Juliana Jendo. Track four, track Arpa, Khabrata Mughibli by Yuau Ishak. Amazing song. Um, and track five, Amane Amane, sung by Edison and the Shamiran group. Uh, Lily Tamarazi put together this group in the 60s, and like they recorded the song, and it's so cool. Um, so those are the songs I'm covering. Okay, who I worked with. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So there's... Uh, one of my besties, his name is Marcos Rios. Yeah, you know Marcos. I do know Marcos. Yeah. I you love know Marcos. Marcos. He's cool. So I met him playing in a cover band. So when I was, this is again, the the journey of finding where I belong in the music scene slash making my own thing. When I took a break from, I took, quote unquote, took a break from making music. And it was really that I just stopped writing my own music. I never stopped really writing my own music, but... I stopped sharing it and it was because I was focusing on writing this book about my grandfather so while I was doing that my musical outlet was a cover band and I met Marcos so we were doing covers and we'd bring in like a tears for fear song and then the way that Marcos would play it I was like whoa you reharmonized the crap out of that and so he studied jazz guitar at a, a music conservatory in Puerto Rico and then came here and ended up, he takes old Puerto Rican songs, like folkloric Puerto Rican songs, and kind of reinterprets them. So when I wanted to do this Assyrian project, I'm like, you are the perfect human for this. Like, you get what I'm going for. But also, I just really, really liked and respected his musical ear. So he was the first person I approached and I, you know, we we figured out what five songs seemed accomplishable at first. Um, We have like a list of like 20 more that we're planning on doing. And we, you know, I, we would work together and like re-harmonize these melodies. So he was, he was ground zero in recreating the songs and working with him. And then my producer, Michael Pupko, he and I actually run a music school together called Our Music Institute. Um, and he's a musician in his own right. He writes his own songs under his name, Tokyo Yo-Yo, produces a bunch of people and called me during the pandemic while I was doing, I was putting out those Assyrian covers. Mm-hmm. Marcos and I started talking about doing this in 2020 and then the pandemic hit. Um, so I started just making my own covers at home and like doing it my own way. Um, they're all on YouTube, you can go, you can go check them out. Um, <laughs> and then once I put them out, my my buddy who I run this music school with um, called me and was like, hey, I love your talent, let me produce you. I was like, you, me? okay, let's do it. We got kind of just really, really blessed in so many ways. We got a recording studio that was kind of just given to us um, by a mutual friend. So we, we lived there and tracked, you know, he brought Marcos in. We tracked the, the kind of roughs, like our demos, our ideas um, from beginning to end. We mapped out the songs and then he was like, all right, let's let's build a band around this. You know, because originally we were thinking about doing something like really folky and acoustic. And I was like, I don't, I don't think so. 
I grew up with like funk and soul and R&B and rock and roll, like let's do something like that. So he brings in this team of people that shocks and awes me. He brings in Rexel Hardy, who was, he just retired, Mary J. Blige's musical director and drummer for two decades. And I'm like, what? I have R&B royalty on my record right now. He is just like the coolest, most humble, so talented. And yeah, he was amazing. He brought in Adam Brown, who is like this incredible gospel bass player. He plays with a bunch of different groups in Chicago. Um, he brought in for Dulce de Nada, actually, this guy named Alex Wasili. If you look at his list of the things that he's done, like he's played with Dave Matthews Band, he's played with Dumpsta Funk, like he's played with a bunch of amazing artists, and he's on my record. I'm like, ah. that's so uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, we bought we brought in Colin Clausen from Monobody, which is an incredible Chicago band. He's like one of the best keyboardists I've ever known in my life. That was the main crew on this record, um, and everybody contributed something amazing to it and just we kind of like built it up and it became its own living breathing thing that's so cool i can't wait to hear i can't wait honestly yeah so juliana jindu and sargon gabriel are the only ones that are able to hear your covers out of the people that you've covered is that right or so okay yes and so narmella i contacted her i found her on facebook nice um she lives in new york and um, I found um, Sura and Alexander's uh, daughter, and I found them on Facebook. So I'm actually sending, I didn't want to send them the song before it was mastered. Sure. And I just got my masters back. Um, so I'm sending them the song, but they've been, they've been abreast this whole time. Like I reached out to them and was like, hey, this is the project I'm doing. I'm covering your song. One, do I have your permission? Two, where do I send royalties? Because <laughs> no. so, I want to, I want to like, I want to respect them, right? And give, like, that's what I would do with any other artist. So they should get it too. So yeah, so they're going to hear it. Um, I reached out to Juliana Tamarazzi, who is Lily Tamarazzi's granddaughter. She's been informed that I have this song. She's been super down about the project, but hasn't heard it yet. So the goal is I, I want everyone whose families were involved in making these songs to be a part of this. I, I want them to hear I want them to hear the the journey that their that their family members work is is taking. I've been in contact with you Ao Ishak's uh, daughters as well. They're in Australia. Um, and we've been talking on Facebook too. So Facebook really helped. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness for Facebook <laughs> in some cases. <laughs> what do you think makes music Assyrian or any other ethnicity for that matter? Okay, I think I think what makes music, you know, a, a culture pertaining to a culture is the story it tells. So it's a lot to do with the lyrics, but like, the, yeah, the story it tells, the metaphors it uses, yeah, the analogies, the things we compare to, but then also within the, the musical realm, there's the instrumentation and the sound choices, um, like Zurna is, yeah. is so uniquely Assyrian, um, Daula, Dumbek, Tambura, and then the, the tonal quality of the voices you know, just like what we were talking about with yeah. Juliana, like the thing that you did 
inquire that they said was wrong in our culture that's not wrong that's right right and but it, that's what makes it sound assyrian is that is that tone of voice yeah so so vocal tonality and then the arrangement i think um and assyrian music there's a lot of call and response and anyone can correct me if i'm wrong here but from what i've noticed i don't hear a ton of vocal harmony i hear like a main line and then it's repeated with a group of vocalists mm-hmm. all singing um, like either unison or an octave above or below. I don't usually hear a lot of harmony. Of, of harmony, yeah. yeah, which is which is unique to us. And I think um, there are different purposes for music as well. And I think a lot of Assyrian music is created with the purpose of unifying, right? So. That whole, you know, no harmony, right? Either unison or an octave above or below. You're all just supporting each other and you're mm. singing the same melody line together. And there's like, even even the way that, you know, we the music is used with line dancing, we become one organism together, all holding hands and moving in the same exact way. You know, there's a leader and we all follow the leader. Like, it's not everybody doing their own thing. You know, like if you go to a, a club right. and you hear a song, you know, come on the speaker, you can see there's 50 people in that club. There's 50 different dance moves going on, but not not at an Assyrian club. Nope. Right. And then with uh, like, think about um, think about even the, the, the song Berwer. Right. So she says she sings that first line and then everybody repeats it with her. Right, so she's just she's just been like, hey guys, this is what we're gonna do, mm-hmm. and then the whole room is unified in telling that story. So I think Assyrian music, that's one of the markers of it, is that it is a yeah, it's a tool for unification, it's a unifier, it's a it's a method of togetherness and bonding, strengthening, which is really cool. Do you listen to Asher Bitsadegis at all? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> of, of course. Of course. <laughs> Love you, Asher. <laughs> no, he's. He's so cool. You are kind of changing the trajectory of how Assyrian music sounds with mm. your upcoming project. Okay. Um, talk to us a little bit about the process of taking an old Assyrian song and being able to think of its melody and approach it in an entirely different way. Well, it starts with just, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. And I think m- most musicians do this where you, yeah, you take a melody and you, you turn it into something else. Um, because you, it's just a, it's a way to play with music. It's a way to create with an idea that already exists. But then, yeah, just to, to go back to another thing that I said, like I, I like thinking of my music as colors, right? So if I take this blue and it used to exist in a, a scenery of all green, it has a certain relationship to the music around it. But then if I take that green away and I put yellow, suddenly it stands out more, you know? Or if I blend in something else with it, then it's really purple, it changes. So I don't know, I mean, it, it was just, I wanted, I wanted to do it, I've been wanting to do this for like a decade. Yeah. It was on my to-do list for a really long time. Once I started pl- really playing around with um, the melodies. I think the one, I did Deshted Nineveh first when I did the, I started doing covers, Assyrian covers, and I realized that I heard it in such a different way, and that's just, 
that's just who I am. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna just let that be. So Gulti Yemi as well, both Asher songs, right? And I, I heard the, the melody and the background in such a different way. If I'm a melody, when I'm in Iraq surrounded by Assyrians, I'm in unison with everything else. But when I'm here in the U.S. in Chicago, surrounded by, you know, Americans and uh, Americans really are just a conglomeration of, of a million cultures. I sound different because I have a different context around me. And so, you know, this whole record was me exploring my identity. And so in a sense, I'm, I'm the melody personified. And so in taking a melody and recontextualizing it in an American way, I'm, I'm just recreating my life story. What does an Assyrian melody sound like with, with like Led Zeppelin drums or like Simon and Garfunkel percussion, <laughs> you know, or like, or, or jazz chord progressions? How do we relate to the world? And then in turn, like, how does it uplift us and how do we uplift it, you know? Because we also shape the world. We're not just shaped by it. And so just one melody from one Assyrian song in context with all of these instruments and styles and ideas from different American musical genres, suddenly it, the Assyrian melody isn't what's changed. It's everything else as well. The, the whole thing about me, like, changing the trajectory, I can't claim that. I can't say that I am. I'm just doing something that I think is cool. I don't know if I'm changing the trajectory. I think that I'm just doing something. And if, if people like it and it inspires somebody to do something else like that, cool. And if people hate it, you know, thank you, life, for, for giving me the time to make something that I wanted to make and n nobody has to like it and that's okay too. Like, I, I don't think, there's definitely no intention to change the trajectory. My record sounds like it was like, it's like a, it's like a, an actual, an actual piece of vinyl found in a, dusty garage from the 60s that's what i wanted it to sound like i love that though so this comes out in may mm -hmm. this is gonna well i'm gonna start releasing so it's each one is gonna be its own single okay um, got a music video oh, um nice. yeah and the first single drops in may yeah beautiful yeah i can't wait me neither like i can because i <laughs> there's, there's a lot to do <laughs> until then but like but i'm really excited about it because it's just Oh man, I've been wanting to do this for so long and I really like how it turned out. And so, you know, it's like it's like when you, you you cook for people, right? Like you cook a meal and you're like, I put all this together, eat it, you know? That's yes. kind of how I feel. Yeah. Like I want to sit you down at my table and play this record for you and let you enjoy the the ear candy. The the ear the ear shawarma. Do you have any words of wisdom mm. or words of encouragement for those who are trying to navigate the music scene? I think explore constantly, create always. Uh, there's a, a quote I live by right now, delete later, because if you delete your ideas as you're, as you're going, then those never see the light of day. You have to be brave enough to look at, it's like what we were talking about with the effortless mastery thing, like let yourself just get into that flow and let yourself like make a mistake, who cares? Let yourself create, let yourself be. And... Que sera. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> and then see, see what happens. And then the only other thing is trust your heart and find, find people who say yes. Because there's a lot, there are a lot of artists out there and you know when we when we seek out collaborators and collaboration there will be a lot of people who don't believe in your vision or who don't see how you see things 
And you can take that as a sign that what you're thinking or what you're wanting to do is wrong or, you know, not good or needs to be adjusted. Mm -mm. Like hold on to that idea and find people who say yes to it. Collaborate with them because that's, that's the best, like, because you lift each other up. As always, thanks for listening. Now please enjoy a snippet of Rachel's single, Shara, which is set to be released on May 19th, 2023. Mara, Hatsi Jalate, Tonamara, Hasn't come, Mark, Mark, Minna.